Chapter Four of A Queen by Ottilie Wildermuth, translated by Unknown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Esther Van Simonides. Chapter Four. Great Expectations, or the Doctor's Daydream. The doctor took a very deep interest in the kind-hearted girl. She seemed to have so much more refinement of idea and manners than was usual with girls of her position in life, that he found it difficult to believe her really the child of plain peasant people. She chattered to him as she would have done to her father, told him all she knew of her childhood, all about the farm, for which she, even yet, felt a little homesick, of the pleasant times when she took care of the sheep, and even of the queen dream, and how she had been joked and teased about it. And what is most foolish of all, doctor, she would say, is that to this very day I can't get it out of my head, and I don't believe I ever shall. Sometimes I determine to think of something else, but try as hard as I will, there it is, and it mixes itself up with everything else, and I can't help it. Indeed, is that really so? asked the doctor with great interest, for from having passed his life more among books and the kind of world described in them than among real living men and things, he had great faith in the wonderful and then he would add thoughtfully yes yes there must be something in him there is something in you maggie that is not common even if you are not a princess by right all this ought to be cleared up who were your parents really maggie told him what she had learned about them from granny and that was all she knew all she said though seemed to but impress the wonder-loving old gentleman more and more that there was some mystery about the matter he seemed quite sure that as he had often read in foolish novels she must be some great man's daughter lost or stolen in her infancy and entitled to a vast fortune and high rank if she could but prove her rights so he asked her one day whether among the things that her mother had left there was not something that would throw light upon the matter no said maggie nothing but what any poor peasant woman might be supposed to leave behind her but then she sold a great many things to relieve her poverty all her best clothes among other things and i wore her old gowns for a long long time as long as they would hang together but oh yes she exclaimed suddenly recollecting herself there was one nice thing in her chest and i've got it now it was a beautiful pocket handkerchief all elegantly embroidered and a beautiful crown worked in the middle of it and then i've a beautiful neckband too with a golden ducat sewn to it i used to wear it when i was a little child because my mother said it was good for the eyes she told me my godfather had given it to me but who he was i never knew have you it with you here asked the doctor eagerly for he was becoming more and more interested and began to feel very sure that it was going to turn out as things did in the story-books yes sir replied maggie but they both are down in the bottom of my chest the first leisure hour i have i will look for them and show them to you but just now i must go for i have stayed too long talking here just one moment more my child cried out the old man as he went off but maggie had duties waiting for her and away she went the worthy doctor could not drive all this out of his head. He thought of all the stories he had ever read or heard of, of children that had been wronged, lost, or disinherited. He thought of the story of Caspar Hauser, and everybody like him that he could bring to his mind. And the more he considered the pleasant manners, the refined air and taste, her natural delicacy of feeling, or her natural abhorrence of everything rude, common, or vulgar, the more convinced he felt that she could not be the child of a poor spinning woman the doctor was a true and earnest christian but he had been all his life long so shut up among his books and devoted to his studies 
that he had been very little among his fellow-creatures, not enough to have observed them as closely as he ought. He knew that the love of God purifies the heart and drives out all that is sinful. But he did not know that the light of religion in the soul glows through the face and gives it an expression of gentle sweetness and refinement, while the daily practice of its precepts produces a refinement and polish of manners such as no court can give. He did not know that the simplest, plainest peasant woman, who loving God and trying day by day to obey him and do as his word commanded, if placed beside the greatest lady in the land, whose politeness was only acquired in society, would be found to be really the more polished of the two. Maggie's personal appearance was not very aristocratic. She was stout, strong, and rosy, and had none of that slenderness of form and delicacy of feature and complexion that one would expect to see in a young princess. But that, thought the good old man, is because she has had to work so hard all her life. She certainly has a pair of eyes as bright as the light. So she had, for they danced with pleasure at the sight of others' happiness, or the opportunity of contributing to it. She abhorred all things vulgar, because she had learned to love the things of God, which were refined and pure. Her manners were uncommonly ladylike, because she was accustomed to practice the precepts of the Holy Bible, which bade her to show respect to the aged and to all her betters, to do to others as she would like them to do to her, not to think of herself, but to think of the comforts and happinesses of others, and as far as lieth in her, to do good to all men. Little as the doctor generally troubled himself about the affairs of other people, he now set to work to study closely all the gazettes, and to search through all the books of heraldry, to trace out the families of all the noble and princely houses of Germany, in hopes of getting some light thrown upon the subject. Maggie, too, much as she laughed about it, and hard as she tried to get it out of her mind, could not help thinking, day and night, of the doctor's conjectures, and had hardly patience enough to wait for Sunday, that she might have an hour's quiet talk with him. But even for that she never deserted her church, though in the depths of heart she was grieved that she could not prevent her thoughts from wandering away from what she was doing. It was not until the next Sunday afternoon that she had the opportunity of showing him the handkerchief and neckband, and the old gentleman put on his best spectacles to examine them. The handkerchief was somewhat yellow from long keeping, but it was of the finest linen cambric, and in the centre worked with a needle the coronet of a count, below which were the initials M.V.H. There now, cried the delighted old man, how came such a thing as that to the possession of a poor spinning woman, I should like to know. But she was at the service, you know, said Maggie timidly, and might have received it as a present from her mistress. Nonsense, exclaimed the doctor with scornful incredulity. Do people present such things as that to their servants' maid, unless they want to see them taken up for stealing? And steal it! That your mother never did in this world. No, sir, indeed, she never did, exclaimed Maggie, quickly and eagerly. Now let us look at number two, said the doctor. And he held up the velvet neckband, trimmed with beads of amber, and from the middle was suspended a golden ducat, evidently a christening gift. Upon one side of this medal was represented a castle, upon the other richly engraven a coat of arms, with a few words that Maggie had never been able to make out. The doctor, however, by dint of hard study, aided by his spectacles, at last discovered all about it, and starting up with a cry of joy, exclaimed, Yes, yes, that's it. Marguerite, Countess von Hohenstein, 1815. 
Yes, this is the coat of arms of the family von Hohenstein, one of the oldest and proudest in the empire. And these two are the initials under the coronet on the handkerchief, MVH. The band was, of course, as with every other child, put round your neck when you were baptized, as a sort of label in case you should ever be lost. This shows the propriety of that German custom of ours. Yes, yes, it's as plain as day now. You are the child of the Countess von Hohenstein. Marguerite, that is, Margaret, and so those country folks got it down to Maggie. But why should they... Maggie stopped short, for everything seemed to swim round her. Send you away or give you away, you mean, don't you? said the doctor, finishing the question for her. Oh, there may have been a hundred reasons for that. Disputes about the property, rival claims, domestic quarrels. Oh, a hundred reasons. Then, too, your birth seems to have occurred the year of the war, when everything was unsettled and upside down, and so it may have been in your family. Oh, it's all just as plain as can be. But to Maggie it was not so very plain, and she was obliged to sit down with her head upon her hands, for she could hardly tell whether all this were a dream or a reality. The good man, though, was as sure as his heart could desire, and very full of zeal. But we mustn't hurry matters too much, said he, gathering up all his books of genealogy and heraldry. I must first make myself thoroughly familiar with all these. I must first get by heart, as it were, all the branches of the family for some time back, so as to strike exactly the right point. Now I have all the I want in the way of facts. So you, dear child, just go to your own little room and pray earnestly to God to direct me in my way, and it will all come right, I promise. Maggie did go to her little room, and prayed with all her heart for support and guidance in this great event of her life. Then she went down to her duties, but her head was so full of what she had heard that that day, for the first time in her life, she was blamed for carelessness. She bore it meekly, however, she knew that when she explained it, she would be heartily forgiven. But what would the Frau Oberstein, the colonel's lady, say when she found that her bed had been made, her rooms brushed, her shoes cleaned, and her windows washed by a countess? The doctor that Monday went in and out oftener than he had ever been known to do before. To Maggie he seemed to have nothing to say, except that, as he passed her, he would remark, All is going on very well. The prospect is very fair. But on Friday morning, just as his fire began to burn briskly, he begged her before she went out to take out his best coat, and a coat of most extraordinary make and appearance it was, to brush and shake it well and bring it to him, together with a ruffled shirt that she would find somewhere in the chest, though we thought it must be near the bottom, for it was a very long time indeed since he had worn it. Maggie stood quite astonished at such orders, and he looked at him to see if he were in earnest, but he replied by a nod, a kind smile, and a merry wink with one eye, saying, It's all on your account, child, all. A stick with a silver knob was next brought from some hidden away corner of his wardrobe, and in this holiday array he descended the stairs and walked with a resolute step down the street, altogether unconscious of the gaze of the people he passed or the laughter and jokes of the boys who followed him. To Maggie, this dressing up was the more mysterious from the looks he had given her from time to time while it was going on, and to such a height was her curiosity raised that, though his room was but half put in order, she could neither return to it nor settle her mind to anything else until he came back. And back he did come very soon, with a face blazing from his rapid walk, and an air ten times more knowing, if possible, than before. "'It is almost entirely settled,' said he to the startled girl. "'Be sure you come to my room this very evening, for I have something of vast importance to tell you.' Oh, how long that day was, and how diligently Maggie did work that she might be able, the moment supper was over, to go to the old man's room. 
when she did at last start for it she was forced to put down for a moment or two the lamp she held in her hand lest she should let it fall and then she had to sit herself down so much did she tremble when she got into the room she dropped into a chair now my child said the old man listen and you shall hear all i have found that about the date of your birth there lived a countess marguerite von hohenstein who born in this country passed afterwards into foreign lands she had several children who all died all the circumstances agree with my opinion and what is most extraordinary the same countess is now living in this very city having learned all this i started directly off caused myself to be announced to the countess laid before her all the evidences and told her plainly that they were the property of a poor girl now in that city living at service well what did she say asked maggie eagerly she was astonished seemed moved but not at all as much as i expected but great people are practised you know in concealing their feelings and after thinking for a moment said may i ask you my dear sir to bring this girl to see me as soon as may be i promised her of course with great pleasure and paid her my respects quite naturally but never in my life could i have believed that i could have spoken up so to quality and felt so much at ease with the real countess but yes yes i know how that came about it was just from having been friends so long with a young countess and he laughed heartily at his own conceit and do you really believe anything will come of it asked maggie who to tell the truth had expected more decided results believe why there is no doubt else why would you want to see you i promise to take you there early to-morrow morning so dress yourself in your best oh how fortunate exclaimed maggie to-morrow my master and mistress are going on a picnic and are to take all the children with them so they have promised all the maids a holiday for the whole day ay ay my children said the old doctor reverently don't you see how all things work together for good to those who love the lord recall your whole life maggie and see if this is not so and now good night i shall not often tell you so after this and the poor gentleman seemed quite sad when maggie went to bed that night she was for a long time so tired that she could not sleep and yet when she thought of the truth of her dream for in her eyes a queen and a countess were pretty much the same thing and how it was coming out she felt more fear than joy would she not be more likely to mortify and disgust than to please her lady mother but then again she thought of how she should enjoy the surprise of the colonel and his lady and above all of her fellow-servants she thought too of the astonishment of the folks at the farm the wife she who had felt too grand to receive the poor orphan as her daughter-in-law would not she look amazed when the coroneted coach drove up and the lady mamma with her newly found daughter alighted and what would george say only that very day she had heard that he had not yet brought home a wife to the house what a true heart he had and oh how delightful it would be to tell the whole world that the unknown peasant's son was the chosen bridegroom of the young countess but then again would her noble mother consent to such a bridegroom her brain was so full of all kinds of things that at last they all mingled together and she fell asleep when she awoke the next morning her first thought was what an important day it was to be to her then she kneeled down and prayed her heavenly father to be with her through all that might come good or bad end of chapter four